Hey friends, this is Matthew, the parish pastor from Trinity Eastside. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. Glad you could be with us this morning. I'm going to be reading from a passage in Matthew 25, a story that Jesus told about the kingdom of God called the parable of the talents. So beginning in verse 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of God is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And then the one who had received the five came forward, bringing five more talents with him, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed, and so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given, and they who have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is certainly hard sometimes to say thanks be to God at the end of a text, but let's let's pray and let's um, trust that Jesus has a word for us today. Lord, as we come to this text, even this somewhat troubling story, we just pray for the wisdom to to see you in it, to hear your heart, and to love you and trust you. So help us, God. Help me to to, to speak to this truthfully in a way that re- represents your heart, Jesus. And so I ask for your wisdom, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I have just a few things to share with you today about this text. I I always love it when you come across stories in the Bible like this because they really are they're 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 easy to avoid because um, they're not easy to understand. It's hard to understand the heart of God in a story like this. It seems very severe. It seems um, angry, and it only uh, for some of us further cements our fears and suspicions about what God is really like. And uh, I, I love coming across stories like that because I usually find um, that it's in those exact places that something beautiful and kind and generous about the heart of God emerges uh, if we'll just dig a little bit. And I think that that's what we find here. 
And yet I also just wanted to say at the beginning that this, this story does have some pretty difficult language in it. And to understand where we are in context, Jesus is in the last week of his life. And as Jesus got closer to the cross, we see this in the Gospels, as he got closer to his own death, his rhetoric became more charged. The tone of his parables and teachings became more apocalyptic. It just happened the closer he got uh, to his arrest and crucifixion. His warnings were more severe. His challenges were more extreme. As Jesus got closer to his own end, the intensity of his words grew, perhaps because he felt the urgency of the moment. I mean, why would Jesus use such jarring language? Well, partly, I think that Jesus uh, was saying things that he carried very deeply about. I think it's also just a good reminder of the humanity of Jesus. He says at another place in the Gospels during this week that he is carrying a great burden by the task that is before him, the cup uh, that his father has given him to drink. He is feeling it deeply in his bones. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't listen to Jesus here or that we just say, like, oh, well, I'm sure he was just maybe a little irritable. That's, that's not it at all. Uh, he's the son of God. He, he knows what he's doing. But I think that we can, even in that, we can see the man telling the story and say, this is a man who knows that he is days away from having nails driven into him outside the city. And just to listen to it through that lens, that this is what is in the back of Jesus's mind, even as he says these words. One other just sort of, uh, I think, important aside to, to say before going into the parable itself is that this is a parable about slaves. And uh, it's important, I think, for us to always acknowledge because of our own uh, history, a country's history with, with slavery, specifically chattel slavery, that we need to understand that there is a slightly different uh, thing going on here with Roman slavery than with American colonial uh, slavery in the antebellum south and so on. First of all, slavery in the Roman world was typically based by financial, it, was, it came about through financial indebtedness and therefore it was temporary. It was not for life. You weren't born into it and then died into it. Uh, it was in no way based on ethnicity. And it was uh, a thing that in which there was a way out. One could always get themselves out of whatever enslaved situation they were in. Um, it was still evil, the world was at this time largely shaped by Greek philosophers, um, and Aristotle in particular spent considerable time in his work, The po- Politics, defending the practice of slavery as being natural, um, that people were born as slaves versus people who were born to be free or citizens. And, and therefore, since it's natural, it's, it's indispensable and it's undeniable. It's a part of life. And yet, anyway, this is the, the philosophical waters that they were swimming in in the first century. And the New Testament writers go to actually pretty impressive lengths uh, to speak to the new oneness, the flatness of, um, of what was once a previously steep hierarchy in society, that now through Christ there is neither, in Paul's words, slave nor free. Uh, no, there are not some who are born to be slaves and some who are born to be free, but all are one and there is no distinction, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Greek. And I don't think that today in our largely egalitarian society, we can begin to appreciate the revolution, the dynamite of those words um, in a first century context. So Jesus, though, he uses this context of slavery in the parable to speak to something that everyone would have understood and accepted as normal, but he's not saying that this is necessarily good. What he's actually doing with it is he's using it as a metaphor to describe the reality of our own indebtedness to God or of our servitude 
uh, to God. He's taking something culturally pervasive, even if it's broken, and he's showing how we can actually see a piece of the kingdom of God in it, which is what Jesus does all the time in his parables. This is a story about seizing opportunity. The master entrusts his property uh, to his servants. It is a lesson, therefore, about what it means to have something entrusted to you. And biblically, this is um, sometimes called the principle of stewardship, that the, the life that I live, the, the finances I have, the opportunities I was born into, even the air in my lungs and my very body are things that have been entrusted to me by God. Uh, and therefore, in a sense, they're his. Uh, they don't belong to me. Now, what's the difference between the five talents and the two talents and the one talent? Well, it tells us that they were given these things based on their ability. And it's really just the biblical recognition that all of us are born with different levels and degrees of opportunity, of privilege, of resources, of talents. Um, The Bible is not blind to this. It doesn't assume that everyone starts off in a level playing field because we don't. And we all know that we don't. They do not all receive five because that would be false. We are not all given the same starting point. And yet, with what they have been given, they are called and invited to invest it. There is no difference in the commendation that the five-talent guy versus the two-talent guy receives from the master. They both are here, hear the exact same thing and are promised the exact same amount of um, responsibility and authority on the other side of their faithfulness. Both five and two double what has been trusted to them. But the one talent person, which is really, I think, in many ways what this whole parable is about. The one talent person, meanwhile, uh, he does not. He says, I knew you were shrewd. And when we see shrewd, you can just read the word cheap, implying that if he had lost his master's money, that his master would have been furious with him. And his master's response to him is a question. You knew, did you, that I'm like that? It's a question that has a sarcastic tone to it, I I believe on purpose. Because what has he just done? He has just given greater responsibility to the two servants who invested what was entrusted to them. He has just extended and expanded uh, their role and responsibility in his kingdom. And he's saying, oh, so you you really knew what I was like. You knew that I was a shrewd person. You knew that I couldn't be trusted. You knew that I was a shrewd person. You see, God... God wants to actually bless and multiply. That's the thing. The master actually wants, he's, he was rooting for his servant's success, not their failure. And I think that that's maybe the spirit of this whole thing. Like, what do I think God is actually like? Do I think God is someone who's waiting to catch me failing? That God is waiting to watch me mess up? Or is God someone who actually is always rooting that I will take what has been entrusted to me and invest it in ways that are fruitful and productive, that give life. And with that will come greater increase and more opportunity and more responsibility. Why? Because as we saw a couple weeks ago when we looked at Romans 8, because God is for us. God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? When we act as though God is shrewd, we adopt a scarcity mindset, we miss out on the blessings that are available. And ultimately, like this last servant, we find ourselves in places of suffering and isolation because we have failed to trust that our, our God's heart is actually generous and kind, not, not conniving and counting. 
We end up in a self-made prison, just like this man, because he did not believe that the heart of his master was generous. He believed that instead it was cheap. Walter Brueggemann, the the theologian, uh, wrote an article uh, a while ago that I read that uh, was very has, has given language to me that I've I've held onto for a while now, and it's called the Liturgy of Abundance and the Myth of Scarcity. And he just talks about this is the difference between the sort of words we speak over our hearts are the words that we speak over our lives, the words that we speak over our faith. Are they words that that fan the flame of abundance, like the belief that this world is enough, that God knows what we need, that I can trust him to come through for me, that it's not ultimately up to me, and that's a good thing because God is more than sufficient? Or are the words that I speak over my heart primarily words of scarcity, of fear, of not having enough? And the parable of the talents that Jesus tells to his followers, he simply says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a generous master who entrusts to his servants so that they can discover for themselves that their master's heart is generous. And so may you choose to believe, even now, even in a season where scarcity feels so acute and so easy to name, may you choose to believe, even now, that God is generous but that all that we need is already before us. And may you, in faith, choose to risk what has been given to you this week relationally, with your influence, with your finances. May you choose to risk for the sake of our master who is rooting for our success and not our failure. Grace and peace to you, friends. I hope you are well. I hope that we see each other soon.